Welcome to Startup Dads, a podcast about the highs and lows of building a business and raising a family at the same time. For more information about the topics we cover on the podcast and other Startup Dads related content, you can follow us on Twitter at Startup Dads Pod. I'm Amrit, co-founder of Hyper Exponential, a tech startup that I co-founded in 2017. It's grown from a two-person team working out of my kitchen to a profitable business with several large clients and more than 20 team members across London and Europe. I'm also dad to Evie, my first child who was born last December. So welcome to another episode of Startup Dads. I'm absolutely delighted to introduce Simon Hay to the podcast today. Simon, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what makes you a startup dad? Sure. Thanks very much for inviting me. I'm Simon. I am one of the co-founders and CEO of Firefly Learning. So the startup bit came first for me. It's a business that I started with a school friend when we were both still kids to solve our frustrations as students. Uh, We do software as a service for schools that helps with parent engagement and also with learning continuity, which has suddenly become a hot topic in the past 12 months. I'm also a dad to two boys, Angus and Aidan, who are four and eight months Amazing. So I saw Simon starting with just what you mentioned there. You set up Firefly at 15, beating Mark Zuckerberg's in the age stakes. So can you talk to us a little bit about your perspective as a school kid who wanted to build something back then? Did you see it as a business opportunity? Like what motivated you? No, I think we were really trying to solve our own frustrations as students. This was kind of 99, 2000 when the internet was taking off in every aspect of life except school. Uh, And I remember being fed up at having to cycle into school when I was meant to be on study leave to pick up notes or hand in work or ask questions. And I remember surveying the chaos of revision notes on my bedroom floor and thinking there had to be a better way. And I was the kind of geeky kid who thought it would be more fun to write that better way uh, than to actually file the notes and do some work. So this was originally uh, revision procrastination that's got a bit overgrown. (laughs) Um, we, We certainly didn't intend it to be a kind of global business that it's become today, or I'd have picked something I could get the trademark on the dot-com for. (laughs) It's a very good point. Getting the dot-com is one of the key challenges of a a startup. It's really interesting. Uh, You know, frustration-driven development seems to be an incredibly common theme amongst founders. Yeah, I I definitely think it's a better motivation than trying to get rich quick. You know, it tends to give you much more of a uh, in-depth understanding of the problem space that you're actually trying to solve and much more motivation to go and solve it. For sure. Can you talk a little bit about what your experience of building Firefly was? You know, as you said, you were uh, obviously one of the best startup founder skills is to be a user of your product. So key thing there. But what was it like those early days when you were building it and at school? For a long time, this was a sideline. and We did it throughout our time at school and gradually gained traction within our own school as classmates saw the difference it was making and pestered other teachers to get involved. So by the time we were in our final year, we were getting pulled out of lessons to fix things and answer questions and so on. And we both went off to university together. And at that point, our school was pretty dependent on it. So credit to them, they'd taken a big risk on trusting some student-written software for a critical part of their operation. But they needed us to look after it for them. And we agreed to, to do that in exchange for a bit of money to support us through, through uni. Various other schools saw it there and said, this looks much better than anything else I've seen. Can we have one too? And I think we fairly quickly realised that actually this wasn't just our school being backwards. It was a general problem that schools around the UK and it turned out around the world all faced and no one was solving the way that we thought it should be. So we kept doing it evenings, weekends, um, spare time alongside 
degrees. I went off and did a PhD in computer science. We both went to investment banks for a bit and were ducking off the trading floor to answer calls from schools, which was not a long-term sustainable uh, option. But it did mean that we could get that really risky kind of product market fit bit done when we weren't trying to put food on the table, which definitely helped a lot. I mean, it's amazing when I look at your journey and I think product market fit was from day one, right? You've, you, there's no better product market fit validation than to have literally your, your users saying, look, I need more of this. Can I have more? Yeah, I think that's true. Although what markets need does evolve over time. So product market fit is not a one shot thing that you, you've got it and it's then yours for life. I think you need to keep working to make make sure you're maintaining that. Yeah, that's a really good point. A really, really good point. Yeah, something people take for granted. It's so often talked about in the startup world that product market fit is this one milestone. Yeah. Now it's done. Tick. On we go. <laughs> yeah. And it's so not, isn't it? You know, competitors changing world circumstances. I suppose for you, you know, thinking about how COVID uh, has come along, it must have changed the meaning of what the market needed. Yeah, definitely. I think schools have always been quite cautious institutions, and rightly so, because students only get one shot at this. But I think that means that particularly where things have been working really well, there's obviously a natural reluctance to, to change that. COVID has forced everyone to reimagine the way that they do things because the traditional approaches are just not possible anymore. And a lot of that, I'm sure everyone will be looking forward to getting rid of and going back to how they were as quickly as possible. But actually, I think there have been a number of enduring changes that will have lasting benefits, even when please God, we're all back in the classroom to stay. Uh, and I think also it's changed people's attitudes a bit to change itself. You know, people have realised that actually change doesn't necessarily need to be as, as scary as perhaps they'd at first imagined. And so I hope that will mean that further innovations will be easier to adopt. It's a really good point. I suppose on a related theme there, how do you think about your business? I imagine COVID was a catalyst in many ways. How do you think about Firefly and, you know, product market fit as the, as you rightly say, fingers crossed, the pandemic eases and things change and we return to a little bit more three-dimensional life? I mean, we were really glad to be able to play a part to help in this global crisis. In the early days when we first closed our offices and moved to working from home, I think it was actually quite helpful for everybody to get through that to see the difference that we were able to make. So we were seeing something like 12 times our normal peak usage as our schools moved learning online. Our support team was getting something like four times their normal volume of calls that they were trying to deal with you know, from their kitchen table. So it was definitely a, a, a pretty full-on last 12 months for us. But I think seeing the, the impact and the difference that we can make has made it easier to tolerate some of those uh, hardships and privations. Yeah, you're right. And I think most people talk about the pandemic has broadly pulled forward people's growth and the challenges, but they're not really going away. It's not just a spike, right? I think the world is changing in a reasonably plastic rather than elastic way. Great. So I suppose I'm interested to pull back to you, you know, your experiences of supporting Firefly through school and university. I mean, you and your co-founder went on to study at the UK's top universities. Did Firefly provide you with motivation? Was that something that you were studying your degree with an eye on Firefly? Were you ever tempted to jump into it full time? Sure. I mean, we definitely had an eye on it. And I think we built conviction that we were on to something here throughout the course of, of our studies and subsequent jobs. For me, and, and clearly having started an ed tech business, learning is important, 
both for its own sake and also for the impact that it can have. I think education has never been more important. It's clearly the differentiator between people who benefit and people who suffer real hardships from the wave of automation and globalization that tech is bringing about, whether we like it or not. So mm. I do support education for its own sake and, and wanted to stay in it myself, partly, I think, out of that sense of academic curiosity, but partly also candidly de-risking. You know, it meant that at the point that we went all in on Firefly, we weren't taking as big a risk as we could have been. You know, at that point, it wouldn't have been catastrophic if it failed. We didn't have dependents and we had quite good career prospects as graduates from decent universities. So I know startup founders always like to tell the story as if they sort of put it all on red. I think, honestly, that probably isn't how it happens in, in the majority of cases. And it's probably helpful to, to be a bit more honest about the risks that we that we do take. Clearly, there's opportunity cost you know, of the things that we're not mm. doing while we're building startups. And a lot of people are making real sacrifices to to be able to do that, that we shouldn't, that we shouldn't belittle. But that was sort of possible when we were 21. It's the kind of thing that would be much harder to do, I think, today. Yeah, that's a really good point. We talked about this actually just on the last episode with Fred Destin, one of the UK's leading VCs. And he talks a lot, actually, about how people talk about things being a linear path and people just seeing the route to success. Very few people actually would have gone into that saying they put it all on red. They, most startup founders are reasonably smart, reasonably, you know, people who think through things. Uh, and actually, as you rightly say, lots of contingencies need to be made. I think a lot of these stories grow in the retelling and there's also massive survivorship bias. So the bits that you hear about are the bets that worked out. That's a really good point. I suppose, although clearly, you know, really thoughtful in the way you built Firefly, have your experiences influenced your perspective as a dad on your kids' hobbies? If your kids did something like what you were doing, how would you feel about that? What would your thoughts be? I guess, obviously, I would be proud, but I'm I'm careful. I worry about projecting my own characteristics and weaknesses and interests onto my kids, particularly when they're so small. You know, I, I think I clearly was influenced quite significantly by my parents, who both worked in tech. They met at IBM. Um, I have fond memories of disassembling early IBM PCs on the dining room table and so on. So they clearly fostered that interest. Um, and they also supported the kind of entrepreneurship, you know, it wasn't a straightforward path persuading schools to take a chance on us as awkward teenagers. And they were actually quite encouraging of some of those sort of difficult conversations and confrontations that, that we were having, when clearly a much easier path would have been to toe the line. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, and I would hope that I could replicate some of those traits as my kids grow up. But I don't want to project disappointment because they don't have the same kind of interests or or paths as, as I did. I think there's loads of things that they can do to make me proud that aren't necessarily things that I would have chosen or enjoyed. And I hope that I can get that across to them. Do you think you have a, a, a different perspective on risk, though, I suppose would be my question. You know, if they did want to follow a nonlinear path early on like you, they were like, you know what, I want to I want to maybe put a little bit more of it on red. How would you feel about that? I mean, I think definitely my attitude to risk has changed. One of the best bits of advice I got from my PhD supervisor, who co-founded a number of hugely successful companies alongside being a professor, was 
to be careful that your risk appetite will change as you move through life and have mortgages and children depending on you. And you will naturally become less willing to see it all go to zero. And that's certainly true. You know, in the early days, this was all a big experiment and there was very little downside if it went wrong. Now it feels like we've built something of value. And, you know, we're a team of 70 people around the world and so on. I do feel much more of a sense of responsibility to protect what we've built, both for my own sake and for the sake of everybody else that we're affecting. Um, and so naturally, I think I have become a bit more cautious. And you've got to be careful about getting the right balance between what's right for you personally and what's right for the business as a whole. I think we're fortunate to be able to give our kids the kind of upbringing that hopefully will allow them to take risks. Um, and I think we should all recognise that just being able to take risks and do things like founding a startup inherently means we're coming from a kind of pretty privileged position, right, where there is some kind of safety net to fall back on. So I hope that we're able to provide that for them, but also that we can be conscious about recognising that for what it is. Yeah, it's a really good point. And your point about how your risk appetite and risk tolerance changes over time as a function of as you get older, your own, the accountability, I think your point about the accountability you have for your team uh, is really key, actually, isn't it? Because you think about a business as you grow, you've got, certainly when I set up HX, I was so mindful of, you know, when we set up and there were three or four team members who I was like, I've I got to make sure we pay the bills. Your first employee is a huge milestone. Like somebody else is <laughs> yeah. dependent on you now exactly. to pay rent that month. Even 20, 30 people, like, whew, We've got to get this right, right? We've got to make sure we, we yeah, we, 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 that we're looking after them in the right way. You know, make, paying their bills, but developing their careers, giving them the trajectory that they need. Absolutely. Great. Thinking a little bit about a Firefly and your business, because I think what's really interesting is, you know, and I always love talking to founders uh, who have businesses that are so very clearly relevant as parents. So, you know, Firefly is something that you can, you know, all parents can relate to, not just as parents, but, you know, entrepreneurs and parents. Um, how do you balance both sides of this? So, you know, how have your experiences as a dad shaped Firefly? I mean, your kids are young, right? So uh, clearly I can't imagine you've, you're putting them too, too, too much of that. But do you think about, you know, your kids' requirements, how they're working, you know, how they're going to use the product uh, when, you're, when you're making big decisions? I think the first thing about balancing this is having both a very supportive wife and a very supportive co-founder, because at various times you're kind of going to be leaning pretty heavily on yeah. uh, your other halves, both at home and at work. And I definitely couldn't imagine doing it without either of those. Um, I agree. You know, I think there's quite often this sense of guilt that you're not doing enough in either context, because both of them are never ending jobs. You know, there's always more that you could do to be a better leader, to be a better father. But there is only so many hours in the day that, that you're going to need to divide. If anyone finds the solution to that, I would love to hear <laughs> it. Please, please do write in. I, I totally agree. I mean, I often describe it as that, you know, I have two things now, my family and my work that I love really dearly and not enough time to give both of them the amount of time that they need. I don't think this is talked about enough, actually. You know, it's really good to have someone talking so honestly, talking about, you know, balance and harmony. And I, I think that most founders, like you say, are continuously on one side or the other of the seesaw. No one's like balancing that perfectly. Or if they are, like you say, Recognising that it probably is going to be a seesaw rather than a, a sort of perfect balance is, is probably a good start, you know, that there will be seasons to this and trusting that it will work out 
over time. I mean, to your point about Firefly being relevant to parenting directly, yeah, I think that having kids of my own has clearly given me a keener sense of the challenges that parents face. And, you know, mine are still preschool age. But a large part of what we're doing is trying to help parents be more involved in their children's learning. Because I think there are a lot of people who would love to be able to do more to help, but actually don't quite know what's going on and where to start. And I think that's going to be one of the lasting effects of this pandemic, actually, that a lot of parents have suddenly been thrown onto the front lines as unpaid, untrained teaching assistants. They've sort of involuntarily become heavily involved in their children's education. And actually, that's a really powerful thing. There's a lot of academic research that shows that parent engagement is one of the key drivers of learning outcomes. So one of the things we'd like to be able to do is help parents to keep that connection and keep that kind of visibility of their kids' learning experiences, even when they're not sitting next to them and helping them with every worksheet, so that hopefully their, their children can continue to get that benefit of a genuine homeschool partnership rather than a sort of outsourcing. That's great. And yeah, that's really profound, actually, because I think you're right. You know, the parental engagement in a world right now, which is so digital and so distracted and having a way of kind of weaving the fabric of the, the school life into a parent's very, very busy day is very powerful. That's a really nice way of framing what Fly If I do. Yeah, we try to think about giving parents conversation starters so that when your child comes home and you ask how was school and they say fine and that's all you get. <laughs> um, actually, you've got a bit more of a clue about things to reflect on, things to ask about, things to celebrate, where there are challenges, where you might be able to do something to help the difference that that's made. For sure. So I suppose, you know, that brings me on to another question, which is to talk about mission. So, you know, you've talked publicly about Firefly's mission and it being really important to you. And I really love the way you frame it, because I think most successful founders, you know, very quickly move beyond financial metrics as their primary motivator. And, you know, you've talked a lot about your mission and the business has been part of you for so much of your life. So can I ask that, how has your relationship with your business changed as kind of you have grown up and your children have grown up? Yeah. I think I probably used to use the sort of hackneyed phrase of referring to a startup as being like a child. And I cringe at that now as a father. Uh, you know, I think those are very different experiences. But I also don't think a startup is just a career either. And actually, it would probably be a pretty poor career choice um, <laughs> in, in a number of cases, you know, particularly for a business like ours, which, as you say, is very mission oriented, I think there is an element of calling to this. You know, you, you have to be doing it because you want to see that change in the world. And that's hopefully what can power you through the, the, the kind of grind and the, uh, the darker moments that, that are inevitably going to be part of journeys like this one. Completely. I, I think your point, actually, which is a really subtle point, but it's really important, is that I too, you know, before I had children compared a startup to a child and called my startup my first baby, I think I, I, the way I see it now is, you know, our startup is not like a child, but being a founder is very similar to being a parent. And I know that sounds quite strange, but actually having to learn new skills on a basically kind of weekly basis, you know, dealing with un uncertainty uh, yeah, and managing change. That's definitely true. You know, I think one thing that has been common to both is that as soon as you feel vaguely competent, it all changes and grows and you're back to square one again, um, sort of faking it till you make it. And also this sense of actually you needing to step back a bit and let it grow up. 
you know, I, I'm not as intimately involved in every detail of my startup's life now as I was when it was a baby startup or a toddler startup. Um, and I think that's sort of right and proper, but it can still feel like a wrench sometimes. Completely. You know, that phrase, if you want to grow, you have to let go. I think it definitely applies in parenting and it applies in startup, being a startup founder. I, I, I totally agree. Yeah, it's ultimately wanting the best for, you know, your child or your startup rather than sort of focusing on your own uh, needs and wants. Yeah, brilliant. So Simon, I'd like to ask you the question that I ask every guest now. Um, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned from your journey in entrepreneurship that you want to pass on to your children? Oh, it's a difficult one. I mean, I think I've done reasonably well out of the kind of well-rehearsed advice about keeping your options open, but embracing serendipity and being prepared to grab chances that that do come your way seemingly at random. Uh, I think in my life and career, that served me relatively well as a fast learning generalist who's curious and willing to try new things and can do a passable job in a number of different fields rather than being a true expert at anything. But actually, I think that's bad advice from a corporate perspective. You know, as a startup, the thing that we learnt, I think, the hard way is that it's very easy to do too much and to end up doing a mediocre job of a number of different things rather than really excelling at anything that's going to let you build that kind of momentum that you need to, to break out. So, you know, I think I would definitely encourage my children to to try things and explore and find out what it is that they really enjoy and really are good at. And hopefully there's going to be some overlap between those two. But also to be willing to, to go deep on, on that and to be comfortable with not being the best at everything, which is, I think, something that I've, I've sometimes struggled with. You know, I'm not very good at, at being bad at things. Yeah, it's a really good point. And I think, you know, lots of really high performing individuals who end up becoming founders, I think, find this really hard. And I think, you know, there's the book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. I'm sure I quote this on every episode, but that's okay. You know, where Ben Horowitz talks about the average score that a startup founder is going to get on his test being 23 three out of 100 or something. And you've got all these people who like smash their careers all the way along. And like you say, you know, if you're a, a founder, you know, there are very, I think even the, the founders who make it look easy, you know, they don't feel that way. Uh, and it's a humbling experience, but one that, you know, as you rightly say, it, it's not being uncomfortable with being bad at things, but it's uh, uncomfortable at not having to be brilliant at everything. Yeah. Great. Well, Simon, look, thank you so much for that. That's been really, really great. Really interesting to hear about your fascinating journey, you know, all the way through. From here, we like to close up with our regular feature, Startup Shoutouts, uh, where we shine a light on some organizations in the startup ecosystem that we admire. Startup Shoutouts. So who's your startup shoutout? Shout out to another couple of startup dads, actually, EdTech startup dads who share some VC investors with us. So one is Third Space Learning, who help with interventions to improve maths in particular for primary school age children with kind of one-to-one -one tuition online. And another is EdPlace, who provide resources to help parents to help their children with, with their education. Both great businesses, both uh, in kind of similar uh, spaces to ours. And I think us ed tech startups have got to stick together. It's a tough space to be in. 
super cool well we'll definitely make sure that people can find out about those in the show notes and yeah because like you say we're all in this together and i think it's very easy to forget sometimes that an ecosystem of of great products is how we get our users and clients happiest right absolutely brilliant well simon before we wrap up is there anything you'd like to market talk about exciting things going on from firefly before we close up well, we're always growing. So if you know anybody who might be interested in joining the team and helping to uh, supercharge the school experience so that ultimately we can improve learning outcomes for a generation of kids, do get in touch either with me directly or have a look at our website, fireflylearning.com. And similarly, if you work in a school and would like to find out more, uh, we'd obviously love to, to chat and show you what we can do. Brilliant. Well, again, Simon, thank you so much for coming on the show. Amazing episode, amazing mission, amazing journey. Great to have you. Pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Many thanks to today's guest. You'll find links to them and their work in the show notes. To join our community of parent founders, head over to the Startup Dance Facebook group. 